If you desire peace, cultivate justice. This phrase is written into the foundations of the ILO, literally. It's on a stone in the foundations of our first building, our first headquarters in Geneva. It refers to justice in the broadest sense. It means justice in life for humanity. In other words, social justice. Rarely in the ILO's 100-year history has the lack of social justice been so clear as it is at the moment. On top of the legacy of COVID-19, we're facing several overlapping and mutually reinforcing crises. Geopolitical tensions, economic instability, growing inequality and the effects of climate change. Together, these pose existential risks that are too large for any one country to solve by themselves. This is a special edition of the ILO's Future of Work podcast to mark World Day for Social Justice on February the 20th. And our special guest today is the ILO's Director General, Gilbert F. Hongbo. Director General, welcome to the podcast and thank you very much for coming. Uh, thank you for organizing this. My first question to you is that since you took up your post of Director General last autumn, you have made the campaign for social justice a priority. And while times are particularly difficult now and the need is particularly obvious, the lack of social justice is not new. So why does it particularly matter now? Yes, you're right that um, social justice is not new and the needs um, are not new. But quite frankly, if you look at the, the last few years, the situation is worsening. Um, on one hand, all of us are very amazed about the potential of wealth creation um, driven by technology, a lot of opportunities. We have the five, 10% of the richest in the world that sees their wealth keep growing. Then on the other hand, when you talk about 50% of the world population with zero social protection, with zero protection, you have more than 200 million people, workers, that are remaining poor, despite 40 hours of work, they cannot secure a dollar ninety per day. Working poverty, as we would call it, yeah. As Ilo will call it, uh, the, the 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 working poverty, the working poor. So I can go on and and COVID. I remember very well how striking it was when we uh, that were living in this part of the world were vaccinated at the rate of seventy percent. And when I call my, my family back home uh, in, in, in Togo, the vaccination were maybe at 5%. And it doesn't matter how you want to explain it, facts are facts that the, the situation was going worse. This is why for me it's important to bring it social justice back on the front line. Okay, so let's try and narrow this down a bit. When you talk about social justice, what do you actually mean? Because it's a very broad term and it can mean all things to all men. It's true that it, uh, it's quite very broad. To be honest, I believe we can spend hours trying to have an agreed definition of social justice, which doesn't exist. There's no international, very specific uh, definition per se. But let's just apply our common sense. For me, the very important thing is really fighting um, um, against inequalities, discrimination, ensuring every human being should have same opportunity. You know, equal access to opportunities for me is quite important in social justice. And therefore, having a decent work 
and a dignifying uh, um, work. Um, people are not asking more than that. Um, having a minimum protection, what ILO will call the protection flaws. Um, and for me, it's part of the social justice, access to water and, and sanitation, access to education. Having the freedom, the voice, to express what one feels, um, or um, being willing to um, work safely. I can go on. In all those um, dimensions, essentially, um, we need to ensure that our life, our, our, our social contract is really balanced, that we don't create um, too much inequalities. A lot of the criteria you've just mentioned are actually included in the ILO's normal conversation about decent work. But I think from what you're saying, that what you mean by social justice actually goes a little beyond decent work. Essentially, all our work contributes to a better social justice. That's very, very clear. On the same time, social justice goes beyond um, ILO, uh, ILO mandate. This is what I was referring to education. I can refer to health. I can refer to water sanitation. You know, the, the right to food security um, is a, a matter of social justice. So it's important for us to keep in mind that social justice goes beyond uh, um, ILO mandate. This, this, but ILO has to contribute more and, of course, remain focused on its mandate, which would be its contribution to that broader challenge. I mean, I can hear policymakers saying to you, well, yes, there's nothing in what you've said that we disagree with, and social justice is fine, and it's a laudable long-term goal. But right now, we've just come out of COVID. We have inflation, which in many places has been in double digits, we have a lot of bills to pay, not right now. What do you say to them? That will be a big mistake. You see, what, and this is why we, we are talking about the coalition, not only to bring others to join ILO, and so ILO needs others, others needs ILO, but every single policy making has to keep in mind, okay, the policy I'm about to make, how does it contribute to a better social justice? If we miss it, you know, you can have great economic growth, yet you have people on the streets. This is what you're talking about, human-centered policymaking. Exactly. As you say, rather than having fantastic financial figures from the stock markets, when, as you say, you have, you have growing inequality. No, having fantastic financial figures is important for us to create wealth. It's important for us to generate jobs. It's important for us to, to make progress in just transition, in tackling the, 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 the climate challenge, etc. My point is, what's the value? of making those of financial progress just to end up by fueling 5% of the riches and having the majority of people still in the dark. This is why I'm saying that we could combine the two. You know, it, we have to be very clear. We are not, and we should not think about the economy or the finance as, uh, as the devil. What we are pushing for is that the economic the social and the environment are three pillars that has to move side by side. And we should not favor one to the detriment of the other. Okay, you are calling for a new global coalition for social justice 
to, to tackle this issue. What would be different about this coalition that doesn't already exist with a number of other multilateral initiatives? First of all, let's think about it. Right now, the S of the ESG, the social, the discourse is not at the same level as the economic and the, uh, the sustainability, the environment. Imagine if in the whole world we can bring the discourse on social justice at the same level as the economic and the environment. That for me will be a big achievement because right now it's not. Right now the S social is not um, um, at the same pace. Why? Why do you think that is? Why has it been sort of neglected? Because we have not prioritized it. It's a big challenge, but I believe we all, we all know, you said it at the beginning, the risk for us is, is whether we want peace or not. Peace as opposed to, to conflict. Exactly. And social peace, uh, um, that I mean, I'm not talking about natural disaster or, or political conflict. Um, socially speaking, if we do not cultivate a better social justice, you will end up for, with more social unrest. That one, we know it. If you desire peace, cultivate justice. Cultivate justice. So, um, so this is one big objective. Bring the discourse uh, at, the, at the same uh, um, level. Secondly, as I've said, Social justice includes ILO, but goes beyond ILO. So you need to create the, the, the synergy so that, you know, we are planning to, um, our research department will be producing a report, the state of the social justice in the world. That will help each country to compare where they were maybe three, five years ago. We're not um, interested in any kind of comparison between countries, but a country will have enough data to see the progress they are making or to adjust their strategy. The one point that you touch in your question, which for me is very uh, important, a lot of um, data exists already in the context of the SDGs, so we're not reinventing the wheel. But by bringing all of that touches social justice together and to be able to see the, um, the progress we are making, it seems to me um, crucial. That also will help us to really be better accountable vis-a-vis -vis social justice. We are not just acting here and there, but what's the impact specifically on social justice? Have you got any specific examples of the kind of things you might want measured? Because it is, of course, a truism that if you want, if you want something done, you need to have it measured. Yeah. Once we will have an operational meeting to finalize uh, what are the different pillars on where we're going to focus. Um, naturally, the, the four branches of the decent work will be there, but I don't want to preempt what the coalition itself will finalize. Once that is defined, I will see each pillar having its own champion, and member states, or multilateral and other institutions can choose to focus to be part of a, a specific pillar. And that specific pillar could decide, okay, in the next two years, why don't we um, focus on um, social protection? Uh, why don't we focus on uh, access to uh, water and sanitation? Why don't we focus on gender equality and inclusion? And then you can also come up with maybe some dimension which are not yet measured. Then our statistics department will develop um, uh, mechanisms to measure that, that as well. To fill in the holes, yeah. To fill the holes, if any. So who do you see as joining this coalition other than nation states? First of all, I see uh, most of the uh, UN agencies, the, um, the financial institution, uh, the Britain Woods institutions, our, our social partners, both employers and, uh, and, and, and workers, 
the um, the the civil society, the, uh, the 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 private sector plus the IFI. I will see that will be the beginning of the call. You know, um, I came from Davos again two weeks uh, two weeks ago. You know, there are a lot of um, private sectors that are doing great things. I, I met with one CEO of uh, a major multinational, and uh, they are quite advanced in implementing the the, the, the concept uh, of living wage. Uh, rather than just a minimum wage, uh, a living wage in all the countries they are operate, they are operating not just in, uh, in, in 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 Europe. And I met with another um, CEO um, where they are really focusing to ensure that in all the, the places they are working in the world as well, a minimum um, the quota um, for disabled people is one of the highest. So, so there are different things that is also going on from the private sector side. So we, I want to make sure that we can work with them. And obviously, before we engage, we also need to do a minimum due diligence. It sounded like you detected in Davos a fairly major shift in the attitude and approach of the private sector um, from, say, five, 10 years ago. Uh, I would say from, say, um, 10 years ago, which for me is quite very encouraging. But, you know, it doesn't mean that everything is rosy. Uh, on, on that we have to remain alert. Great. DG, I think that is all we have time for today. I'd like to thank you very much for your time and your input in joining us here today. And thanks to you, our listeners, for your time and your attention. For now, let me wish you goodbye and please join us again soon for another Future of Work podcast. <laughs>